Do you ever feel like the whole world has gone insane? Yeah, you're not alone. I feel that way. In fact, the majority of people feel that way. The truth is, we were all sold this great lie that being part of a silent majority was something we should be proud of. Being a silent majority allowed a very loud, angry group of people to control everything. And problem there is, that small group of people, they're communists. I say that myself as someone who's the son of a Cuban refugee who had to flee communism. I know the reality of how important the American dream is. I know how quickly we can lose freedom. And that's why this is our last stand. I'm your host, Robbie Starbuck, and I'm gonna be diving deep on the issues and people that matter so that together we can save the American dream and once again, become a loud majority that steers the direction of this country. If you're with me and you wanna spread truth and wake up the masses, you're in the right place. Together, one piece of truth at a time, we can save America. On today's episode, we're gonna be sitting down with a group of unvaccinated soldiers, their spouses, and even one of their children to talk about the effect of the vaccine mandate that came from the Biden administration and the refusal of the Biden administration to honor religious exemptions and other exemptions like them, and how these men, who stand as, honestly, some of the very bravest among us, have taken this stand for you, for me, for everyone, for our religious liberty, our freedoms in the future, and for the United States government and our constitution to really get back to the foundations of what our founders intended. I don't want to spend too long introing it, so here we go. So before we begin, I want to pass it off to Andy here so that he can clarify to you guys that the opinions shared here today are not the opinions of the Department of Defense, but are in fact their personal views. And that's important. You know, part of this is to, to make that very clear. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Robbie. Yeah, for the active duty guys, um, our opinions are not the opinions of the DOD or the Army or any government agency. They're our own opinions. Awesome. August 2021. They came down from the Biden administration with a mandate saying that you guys have to get the COVID vaccine or there would be consequences, essentially. So walk us through how this all happened, what your reaction initially was to the mandate and what it meant to you. Did you know immediately that this was something that you guys were not going to do? And how long did it take until you started to feel the repercussions of your choice? On the day that I took command, I, I knew that I was on borrowed time. I knew that it was only a matter of time before the uh, the mandate would be implemented. At that point, I knew that I would refuse it, and I knew that there would be severe repercussions. Yeah. None of that was a shock to me. Fast forward to August, the FDA supposedly approves a certain product. I believe that there's a lot of questions as to what actually happened there legally. DOD then implemented the mandate. At that point, no longer voluntary. Everyone has to take it. If you choose to not do so, you are now according to the military, in violation of an order. Yeah. Uh, I refused it, along with plenty of others across DOD. And how many battalion commanders are there besides you? It's a great question. I don't know exactly, but I mean, a, a couple hundred. A battalion commander generally takes command at about 18 years of service. Depending on the type of battalion, generally will have anywhere from maybe 350, 375 to 750 soldiers, depending on the, the, the type of battalion that it is. So it's a significant level of leadership within the military. And was this something within your battalion that you oversaw 
were there conversations from people underneath you who had the same concerns that you had and everybody sort of collectively was trying to figure out what, what, what the heck to do? You know, was that the experience? Yeah, my policy going in, this was clearly going to be an issue for anyone who was in command at yeah. this particular time. So I was very clear with all my subordinates that I was very well aware that they had been receiving pressure from the top even before it was mandatory and that all of that would stop with me. I was very clear from day one, you will receive no pressure to either take or not take the injection from me. I had multiple soldiers come see me behind closed doors in my office in tears because they did not want to take the injection. Multiple. I like to think of myself as an approachable person. You still have to understand that I'm a lieutenant colonel who is the battalion commander. It is no small thing for, uh, for a 19-year-old private to go visit the battalion commander. We're talking about the U.S. government behaving like the governments that brave men and women have gone and opposed as soldiers for our country. Right. And we're behaving in the same tyrannical sort of way. And that's, that's really the issue at the heart of this is that, you know, they can make their recommendation. And this has kind of always been my, they can make their recommendation. And I think that they, they, they're going to do that period, you know, and I think most people would say they should make some sort of health recommendation. I would disagree with that, but I'm fine with it. Sure. Go make your recommendation. But where things get to a point where it's unacceptable is when they're forcing people to do things that violate their religious beliefs. So quick show of hands, how many of you guys made a religious exemption request? So almost everybody was religious for you is just pure no. You said, nope, not do this at all. Just to clarify, I'd never submitted a, a religious accommodation request. That is not because I don't have extreme religious objections to the shot. I do. In my personal case, I was always a hard refusal. In my personal view, if I were to request a religious exemption, it would almost be conceding that the shot is safe and or effective, neither of which I'm willing to, to, yeah. uh, to concede. That was my see, It seems like yours is a very, you have a very principled, you know, specific stand on it, which I think actually kind of falls in line with mine. Uh, you know, I understand why people do the religious ones because it's sure. your best shot sure. in, in normal times to be able to go and get past this. But... On the principled side of things, it almost gives credence to what they're doing that there should even be an exemption. There shouldn't be an exemption process. You should just be able to, as a man or woman, say, no, I'm not doing this. And nobody should be coercing or bothering you about Correct. it. Correct. You know, everybody's going to agree or disagree on that. But I do think that it's an important point that, you know, you guys are already giving so much to the country, to everybody, your families too. And that's the part that really bothers me. Nobody's talked about your guys' families. Nobody has, you know, they've rarely talked about you guys in your experience, but I have heard nobody talk about the effect of this mandate on families. So I want you guys to shoot everybody. Tell me, what did this do within your own families? How did it affect your spouses, your kids? Because I can only imagine, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have to deal with anything like this as a kid, but you know, my parents, we lost our house when I was a kid. And I know how much me as a kid, I took that on and was like, what's going to happen next? You know, how are, how are things, are we going to be okay? Are we going to be homeless? You know, things along those lines. You just wonder as a kid and you worry. So how has it affected your guys' lives and your family's lives? It's been absolutely heartbreaking for me to see how much it's affected my family. You know, we join the military at a later age because we want, we want to serve and we still want to serve. And to kind of be in this cycle limbo, limbo stage of not knowing whether you're going to be kicked out or allowed to stay in, kicked out, allowed to stay in, back and forth. You're going to be out this short amount of time. Well, I know it's going to be longer. It's been devastating to see the effect on my wife, my almost 16-year-old daughter, who's 
trying to navigate life as a teenager, my my sons trying to go back and trying to figure out what is going to going to happen. And yeah. it's been extremely difficult on our family. And then as Chaplin, seeing so many other families deeply, deeply affected, it's been um, really heartbreaking. Well, for me, it's been really hard because there's been like no stability with dad at all. Like one day I'll hear one thing like, oh, we're moving back in two months. And then the next day it'll be, oh, we're stuck here for another year. Yeah. And there's just no like consistency with anything they say. Like everything changes. And it got into the point where I was like, just don't tell me anything. Like if you're going to post up on your Instagram about what's happening, like hide your story from me. Because it was like stressing me out so much because everything was changing yeah. like every day. There was no stability in it whatsoever. And there still is none. Yeah, I could just... Were you worried he was going to lose his job too? Are you still worried about that? I feel like, yes, yes, definitely. Even though like things are changing. Okay. Hopefully. Hopefully changing. Still, we got to think about it. Yeah. And what about for you? In the beginning, everybody was like completely against it. And then it just felt like dominoes. Yeah. And now my husband and one other are the last chaplain standing yep. uh, fighting for religious freedom. It, it's just, um, it's been so much on my children. It's really a loss of a dream because I, I, I believe that my husband's army chaplain career is not over. My wife lost both her parents in short order, father-in-law to uh, um, the vaccine. She did all this, the research and everything and, and had all this information uh, and tried to pass the information along. Very few people were receptive. That, that took a toll on her emotionally. It took a toll on me emotionally to see her struggle with that, and then everything on the military side. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just not been a steady uh, state. It's just been, you know, okay, there, there's a chance, oh, there's no chance. Well, that's the important point, is the exemptions were not treated the way that they previously were. You as a chaplain, you know this um, intimately because you dealt with the exemptions. Right. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm gonna kind of go through for people how this all worked previously, this all happened at the company level. This happened on base. People knew each other. You make your request. The chaplain reweets. Maybe not by, you know, the paperwork, but in general, in, in the way it really worked in real life, it came down to the chaplain. The chaplain would go up and say, hey, yeah, we should approve this. And then it got approved. Yeah. So you as a chaplain, was there any issue with soldiers who came to you with religious exemptions previously with them getting their religious exemption? No, if it was found sincere, and that's, that's the process is that you get interviewed by a chaplain and this is our lane to figure out whether there's a burden and whether your belief is sincere. Yeah. And once we determine that and we take our jobs very seriously, so at least I do, religious freedom in the military especially is vitally important. Yeah. And we find that beliefs are sincere. We pass it along to the chain of command and almost 100% of the time before all this started, they will listen to what the chaplain says. So here's the question. Previous to this, previous to the COVID vaccine, how many, if you had to give a rough percentage, doesn't need to be exact, but a rough percentage of how many were approved out of every 10, what would you say? When they had sincere release? Um, yeah, as long as it wasn't something that was totally crazy that would take away from the mission. Yeah. Almost, almost all of them. Okay. And then post-COVID vaccine, how many have you seen approved of all the exemptions? Oh, I mean, I've seen personally one. One. One exemption. He went for an RA, a religious accommodation, and we just thought, okay, I think army protocol is like 30 days. Yeah, you know, like 30 days. No way. I like to pass him. I'm like, right. looking back to my daughter, I'm like, only went 30 days, you know? Well, that that whole experience, you know, to go all the way to the sec deck and down, and, and by the way, like, nobody's got to approve. 
be all theater. Um, you know, I thought maybe a chaplain will get an RA. Like a chaplain should get a religious accommodation. If anybody's going to get like, one, how do you demand a chaplain? He's fighting for Muslims to grow beards and Orthodox Jews to grow beards. Yeah. And I've got four transgender flags on my street. Maybe a chaplain can get a religious accommodation. Maybe. Maybe in a staying comfort. Well, the Constitution covers all that. Man, I wish so, I had brought that up when he, when he was over here. That like the insanity of literally a chaplain not being able to get a religious accommodation. force. Lunas. Get force. So, so we wait eight months and that RA comes back denied. When that first religious accommodation came back, it was like a kick in the gut. Yeah. We thought we were the only ones. And the military spouse community showered us with meals and gifts and prayers. Like high-level official wives were bringing food over to me. He's like, no, I'm going to fight this. I'm like, here we go. Okay, we're going to fight this. So he submits an appeal, and everybody knows what happens next. They all come back tonight except for like one or two random chaplains. One in California. There's another one that we just heard about like last week. So we're like, wow, this is totally religious persecution. Like, Wait a minute. We're like, time out. We're like, time out. I know the military is going more agnostic. Nobody really knows what to do with the chaplain board. But is it the chaplain's job to defend religious freedom, religious yes. accommodation? Like, okay, we're going to take this all the way to the end, even if he gets, like, head chopped off. Like, that's the job of a chaplain, yep. is that you defend RFRA no matter what. Like, that's your job. You're a yeah, chaplain first, and then a sword. And... And, it, and for such a time as this, and thank God, you know, he has been blessed with athleticism. He did aerosol school. He can rock with the best of them. He can propel. He can climb. For some reason, you know, here we are in our 40s, and he's acting like he's, you know, 18 years old. But it is a young man's game. Yeah. And so he has been able to help a lot of soldiers when he got pulled off a detail. Um, that was devastating. And so it almost comes off to me like the military either is crossing this religious freedom boundary, which is what I personally believe, or that they truly believe that only, you know, let's say 1% of these requests are actually people who have valid religious beliefs. In which case that presents a new problem for us in that they're starting a new sort of religious testing system within the military that has never been there previously. Because you take a leap like almost 100% being approved down to a chaplain only knowing of one person approved. That's obviously not adding up. Something changed in there. Previously, it was all approved at that company level where everybody kind of knows everybody. Now it's approved at the Pentagon by somebody that none of you guys really know. And so why do you guys think they did that? Does anybody have an answer? You don't have to answer. Anybody have an answer to that? You can just shake your head no, because it doesn't make sense to me. And I think anybody watching... They're shaking their head too, going, why would you change that for this one vaccine? When previously, the previous system, it wasn't like there was some flaw in it. There wasn't some, you know, breakout story that embarrassed the Pentagon about the way this had all worked previously. It was a working system. It was a fair system, would you guys say? If I had to put a word on it, the word that we all hear is readiness as far as... Deployability. Yeah, as far as why it changed. Because with the other exemptions... They could say that it didn't really affect readiness per se, but for whatever reason they're saying this one does, even though we know now that it's not safe and it's not effective. Yeah. So I know of people who got the shot and then got COVID and I think we all were at home. Yeah, I think we all were at, but were at home quarantining. Yeah. How is that not not affecting readiness? Yeah. I'm at work. I'm at work. 
but he's not. Absolutely. Yeah, so it it had a great effect on my family, especially when when the mandate came down. We were getting ready to make a move of sorts. I had volunteered for drill school. You know, we were forward planning for that, you know, getting down. We we're going to be closer to home, closest we've ever been since we joined the military to be in, you know, near home, near family. We were wondering if, you know, if I got kicked out because of this, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay here and try and find a job here? You know, are we going to move back home as our oldest son who's a senior in high school like is he going to be able to graduate here with his friends or are we going to have to you know make the move back home so it was it was very stressful anyway it still is the initial shock of it all was extremely stressful especially my wife was a big reason I made this move because of all her research and telling me everything and you know I put two to two together with my religion and you know that's opted me to take the religious route and much as his wife did, they've been kind of uh, collaborating together, you know, with all their information and resources that they have and trying to get the word out there. So I was very outspoken and a lot of the wives would be like, are you kidding me? You would let your husband ruin his whole entire career over a shot. I was like, are you kidding me? You would let your husband take that risk over a career. Taking a look at who are you trusting? Yeah. Who are you putting your faith in? Where are you getting your information? It's more of a a question to yourself instead of trying to question everybody else. Um, I think that's where I had started was questioning, why do I feel this way? And that started me down my road and my journey, and which is the reason why he didn't take it because he admits he would have taken it. But no, I mean, I think it's incredible what a lot of spouses have stepped up and done to take roles where they're saying, you know, we can do this together. We're going to take this risk because the part a lot of people avoid talking about because it's just something like, I think most men, like you don't want to talk about your family's finances and stuff like that. But financially, every one of you knows you guys are in a service. This is a service. It's not a job that pays you guys the money it should pay you guys, period. It just doesn't. And as a byproduct of that, if you're worried that you're going to get separated at any moment and possibly not have any benefits at all afterwards because they may dishonorably discharge you, which was the case for a time. They were they were pressuring with this, you may be dishonorably discharged. Yes. In the real world, I mean, you guys had to have had these talks with your spouses that any day now, that could be it. And what money is going to be able to sustain us? Are we going to, are our kids going to be homeless? You know, things along those lines. Did you guys have these conversations? We did. And a big part of it was, you know, for the time being, we were like, Hey, you know, we, we have a lot of family back in Florida uh, where we're going who are willing to support us. And right off the bat, we were like, well, we can sell our house. We'll, we'll make money off of that, you know, and at least it'll sustain us for you know, a couple of months while we, you know, get back on our feet for the time being. But that's still a very uncertain future. Uh, like everybody said, the writing was on the wall. It was coming. So my, my family, we made certain things that, you know, we're going to do everything we can to be as debt-free as we can. Yeah. Because we don't know the process. When I say, no, I'm not going to take it, or I go through the process of religious exemption, insult denied, we don't know the timeline, especially back then. So it was a giant unknown. So very, you know, it's just added to the stress. Yeah, I think the the back and forth of, okay, you're going to be out tomorrow, and now you get to stay in. I mean, we ran back to Florida, also from Florida, a couple times to... Do we buy a house? Do we not buy a house? 
Yeah. And then the expense and the cost in doing that too. Yeah. And it's been really, really difficult. And this, not just for our family, but countless numbers of soldiers are dealing with this. Back in 2020, when they even started mentioning the vaccine, like him, I was an absolute hard no. Like I just, it just didn't seem right to me because I knew that it took years for a vaccine to get approved or any anything like that. So I was like, this just doesn't seem right. So I was already a no. I didn't know about the religious accommodation stuff until, you know, it became mandated. At the time it was mandated, I was at 17 years active federal service. And looking back, it was kind of unfortunate because I actually joined the army in 1998. Yeah. So, but I got out after my first contract. And if I would have never done that, I could have retired five years ago. Yeah. And now look what I'm dealing with. Yeah. So. Because you're, how far away are you from I'm 20 months now. And so that, that hangs over you. Oh, absolutely. Look, my wife. She would go, she kept going back and forth. Not that she, she never wanted me to take it, yeah. but her mind just kept going, we're going to lose everything. Yeah. We're literally going to lose everything if you don't take it. <clears throat> Sorry. And then um, I think what really was the final straw for her is when they started pushing out like all medical was going to have to be mandated too, like any medical. Yeah. And she works in that field. And she told me, she told me one night, she was like, if they mandate it for us, she's like, I'm quitting my job. Yeah. And I think that was the final straw. She was like, if I'm going to quit, there's no way I'm going to make you get it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just terrible. How many of you guys know somebody who is vaccine injured? And how many of you guys know somebody who died after getting the vaccine? So that's even in itself shopping. How many of you guys know somebody who uh, died healthy person after getting COVID? nobody i think that's important for people to to see the real life reality of this and to do that i am going to pull out my phone i want to read these stats so that everybody has them very exactly so here we go a whistleblower lieutenant colonel pete chambers told center square in february that after 39 years of service he was being forced out of the texas army national guard for his commitment to providing informed consent imagine that what a doctor's supposed to do Chambers, the first Special Forces Operations Surgeon for the Green Berets, raised concerns about a range of side effects, including myocarditis. He then went on to raise concerns about the published DMED data identifying the most common increases in diagnoses among service members after receiving the mRNA shots. This included a 2,181% increase in hypertension, a 1,048% increase in diseases of the nervous system, an 894% increase in malignant neoplasms of the esophagus, 680% increase in multiple sclerosis, 551% increase in Julian Barr syndrome, and uh, many others. I mean, it goes down the line. We all know the cardiac issues that go beyond myocarditis. So when you look at this, you have to have seen some of this on your own basis, correct? Everybody, everybody's seen this. What has the effect been on those people? If you know these people, how is the army taking care of these people who have been injured after being forced to get the shot? From what I've seen with my, some of my soldiers that are going through it, it's kind of case dependent on severity. If they're ruling it severe enough, you know, they can go through the med board process and get out with some benefits and others who are having hate to say, more mild symptoms, heart palpitations, chest pains, breathing problems, stuff like that. They're giving them what is a called a Chapter 514 medical, and it's a, essentially just a separation out of the Army with no benefits other than what their normal 
separation would allow them. Yeah. One of the guys that, that I'm friends with, he um, really didn't want to take it, but he felt like he had to just be able to stay in. And then he got back from the injury from it and is now having to get out. Are they even offering up anything to these people? Like, hey, we're sorry that we forced you to get this thing we said was safe and effective and now you're injured and can't work anymore, can't carry out the job you could previously carry out, no longer the healthy, strong person you used to be. So here's this big bonus. We're so sorry for destroying your life. Is there anything? They're like serving no bonuses. No, and I didn't think so. A lot of times from what I've seen, none of the times have they directly acknowledged that it's from the vaccine, even though this perfectly healthy individual who, you know, has a ranger tab, who's seen as this very physical specimen, if you will, you know, within the battalion, can't even go run a mile anymore without, you know, his heart rate spiking to 170, 180 beats a minute. I just want to point out too, let's go back to the beginning. What was the first thing they harped on? Readiness. Yep. And has this affected readiness? In my eyes, it clearly has. Absolutely. Am I wrong? No. The argument that this was about readiness can no longer be maintained. Oh, uh, it's dead in the water. Dead in the water, and, and has been for a, for a very long time. Well, and then you jump to another area of this. If we're talking about readiness, we have to talk about recruitment. Because to be ready, you've got to be able to, to go and fill the gaps, okay? We have a historic crisis right now in recruiting for all branches of the military. All of a sudden, this happened. There was no issue, and then all of a sudden, bam. All of them are not even close to their recruitment numbers that they need to be at. You see, I have my own opinion on why that is, but I don't want to color the commentary on what you guys are going to say. So I just want your guys' take. What is the reason this is happening? Because I don't think it's just one thing. I think the vaccine mandate is a big part, but I think that there's other stuff. I'll leave it to you guys. We could start here and just kind of go in a line. I think there's more of a majority of people, both ex-military and civilian-wise, who are against it. You know, they're... I wouldn't say swaying their children, but informing their children about it, which is causing them less likely to join because they know they have to get it. Yeah. Also, a lot of stories, I have friends who are drill sergeants, people who are coming in without the vaccine, who are trying to get, you know, religious accommodations or medical exemptions. They allow them to go into basic and then they basically keep them there and just keep them there until they either decide to get it or their exemption fails and they put them right back out of the army. So a lot of those stories are going around as well. Uh, my brother's a, a recruiter for the Air Force in Evansville. It was before the pandemic that he had moved up there. And so, you know, he loved it. He loved his job. You know, he was always meeting his quota. Not a problem. The last year, 15 months or so, he hasn't been able to. He's been super stressed because the higher ups are on lots of pressure. And yeah, yeah, try to get him to meet his goal. But it's like, I can't just pull these people in here. They're, they have to walk. Yeah, to come run on. Yeah. I think one thing that he said that's really important that I've also seen, and though admittedly anecdotal, it's still very important, and that is that military service a lot of times tends to be generational. An individual serves because they had a parent who served, potentially even a grandparent, et cetera. And I think what we're going to see now is a a large break in a generational service. Yes. And And there are many reasons why young people may not want to join the military right now. But what I'm talking about is specifically where... Parents who have served that have either been forced out right now or they're on their way out or they just recently have left are actively discouraging their, their children from joining. Whereas otherwise, in a majority of cases, they might have actively encouraged them to join. The child may even want to join. And the parents are saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And so what, what else do you think it is, aside from the vaccine mandate? 
And I can say whatever I want. I'm no longer in the military. I resigned. That's why I'm correct. So, so, <laughs> so, so if I say things that you know, these guys won't say, then you know, yeah. those are my opinions. Don't attribute them to them. Yeah, so I think it's intentional. So I, I think that when we talk about the, uh, you know, the wokeness is the word of the day, right? Or, or whether it's what's going on with these, uh, these injections that, you know, I try to always catch myself and, and not refer to them as vaccines because I won't grant them that. I think that they are multiple prongs in the same strategy, which is erode military readiness. So that's what I think it is. I think we're willfully eroding. I think this was always the plan, not building military readiness, but eroding it. And I think we're doing that with the military while also it looks like we're doing it with other institutions in the country as well. We are all, all over the board. So this is part of what I've said. This is an argument where you guys feel free to tell me I went too far on this too, because I, you guys are the experts in this, not me, but just outsider looking in. To me, it appears as if this is targeted ideological division to specifically target a group of people that would also fit the psychological profile of being the most likely to be a problem should some sort of Marxist, communist, tyrannical regime decide they want to do something that your average person who's sworn oath to the Constitution would go, I swore oath to the Constitution not to do this. Yeah. Am I wrong that, that it's targeting a specific group of people? No. What, what I think you're doing is you're looking at the evidence that is in front of our faces and you're making an assessment based on that evidence. And I think we probably made a similar assessment. So I don't think you're wrong at all. I, I, in fact, I wish more people would look at what is right in front of our faces and realize just how bad this is. Not in no way would I ever say the situation's hopeless. Yeah. But people need to acknowledge just how pervasive and pernicious this is. If we don't fully acknowledge it, we'll never we'll never fix it. Well, this is a good question for you. You're you're out, and so you can answer this question. When you were in, how often are the conversations happening among soldiers in terms of all the wokeness and the trainings and everything else? How often are they talking about it privately in ways that they would never say publicly because they have to protect, you know, their career? For sure. Uh, for sure. Undoubtedly. Would you say the vast majority? Yeah. The the average soldier on the line, now there's probably been a cultural decline in our society that is also manifesting itself in the military, but particularly in combat units, and you know, everyone here was part of the 101st Airborne Division. So when you have these these line units, soldiers in these line units, they are a little more resistant to a lot of that wokeness more easily penetrates other other areas of the military. Now that doesn't mean that it's not there, but they will hold out a little bit longer. So are they are they resistant to this? Do they talk amongst themselves about it? Of course, yeah, undoubtedly. Yeah, I mean that's what I think most people can think here. But we like to educate sure. what's going on. If I may, just there's one other thing that you mentioned that I think is also very apt, and that is what we're seeing here is a loyalty test. Yeah. The question in everyone's mind should be loyalty to whom or what. Yes. So when you take it out to the Constitution, what supersedes the Constitution? Nothing. Maybe God. That's it. So what I think is happening in the military and in a, in a normally functioning society predicated upon Republican principles, and I mean Republican with a small R, not a, not a large R, your military would not be at odds with the people or the Constitution. Those would naturally be in a line. In a normally functioning society, that's all great. And as you serve in the military you are serving the country. The problem is when they're misaligned and when they're at tension with one another, you're not necessarily serving the country just by virtue of the fact that you 
have on a military uniform. That's the dirty little secret. Everyone wants to think that, that a military officer or a soldier is serving the country, but really you're serving the government. You're only serving the country in as much as the government is serving the country. You're hitting a point that I've talked about previously on the show, and it's that, you know, the great thing about the Constitution is it's fixed. It's not, it's not up for debate. People will try to debate, but you can't really debate it. Okay, it's, it's there. The originalist text, it, it really means one thing, and it's not very difficult to discern what that is. Now, the difficulty and the issue that we have in this case is that we've reframed what people are answering and swearing an oath to in the eyes of the larger, let's say, media apparatus and the narrative that they're selling. And that's that you're, you're really, you know, going and, and swearing an oath to whoever's in the White House at the time. And honestly, that's dangerous no matter which side of the aisle you fall. Sure. Because you can't control, like the Constitution, it's fixed. Whoever's in that lighthouse, what they believe and think and want to do is not always fixed. And so go and swear an oath to somebody, essentially, by applying loyalty tests to a party or a regime is how you get into really dangerous terrain mm -hmm. territory. And that's where we are now, is that that's what I believe this is. I'm not going to ask people who are still in, but I think that it's very clear to anybody who's looking at the basic facts of what's going on. And, and I think you're absolutely right about that. Where we go from here, we've got right now the NDAA in Congress, and it looks like a deal has been struck on for the NDAA. So it looks like they're going to do away with the mandate. I say looks because nothing is real until it's signed and it's in the law. There are conversations still about, you know, because this has got to go to the Senate still, and then it goes to Joe Biden's desk and all that. So there's still chance things change. There's still conversations around back pay. Okay, and there's still conversations about will we reinstate people who were fired? And so I want to touch on these points. If you guys, this ultimately, it is going to be on Joe Biden's desk. Okay, ultimately, that's where it lands, president's desk. What would you guys say to Joe Biden to encourage him to, number one, reinstate the people who've been fired? Number two, do away with this environment of people walking on eggshells, being afraid of what's going to come next, and also giving back pay to people who had their pay taken away and reinstating retirements for people who were forced out and were, you know, within a year of their retirement. What would you guys say individually? We'll go down the line and start on this end. What would you say to the president of the United States commander in chief to get these mandates pulled and make sure that people were treated the, way, the right way? I think it's absolutely imperative that everyone that was wrongfully kicked out of the military or forced out of the military, or like in his case, chose to leave, even though he chose to leave, if the mandate was never in place, he would have never had to make that decision. You would have never left if the mandate never came on. So who knows how many more years he would have served, right? My original plan was to do 24 years, but as soon as all this happened, it was like, no, I'm going to spend do 20. Yeah. Because it was just, I didn't like what I was seeing. Yeah. So it is imperative that everyone at least has the opportunity to come back in because not everybody's going to want to yeah and you're still living in fear going into that 20-year line exactly you, know, you just have to wait and hope and pray you're not one of the ones that gets separated exactly now that the ndaa they have a deal on it the biden administration and the dod they are moving to separate more soldiers between now and when the ndaa is signed because once it's signed including at least the main day being over they're not going to have the cause to be able to get rid of you but in that interim between now and then they they will try you know if they're committed to this and they haven't struck a deal with the white house that's the next step and if they do it they're going to go big they're going to go after everybody 
it's not going to be a targeted deal. They're going to go and try to get rid of absolutely everybody very quickly right before it gets signed and then sign it. And it'll be really one of those things that DC's famous for where they pretend they do something where nothing really was done because if nobody's left who's unvaccinated, then you're signing something that has no meaning, you know, because, okay, the mandate's over, but it applies to no one now. And that's really the thing that we have to work to prevent is to make sure that they can't get away with that without the public knowing what's going on and what the families are going through. What would you say to the president of the United States? Yeah, I would say, Mr. President, it's the greatest honor of my entire professional life to serve. And these men and women that have stood up for their beliefs, stood up for their convictions, this is exactly who you want in the military. These are the men and women that you want on the front lines because they're willing to lay everything down for their convictions, for religious freedom, for the freedoms of this country. And they deserve more than anybody else to be able to serve in the ways that they have. I've been, I've been blown away seeing the courageousness of so many men and women that have said, no matter what the cost, I'm standing up for my convictions. So there definitely comes a day that you will have to account for the decisions that you made for millions and millions of people for a country that is built on the premise of being free and what has been done here and the hand that has been dealt has been more detrimental to every aspect and facet of a person's personal life and you just threw that away and you made decisions that affected them that had absolutely nothing to do with an illness. And so I do implore you to take another step back and look at the detriment that you have already allowed to be caused and look into the future to see what we can do if you are very much onto unity as you say that you are that you will do things to bring our country back together. And that is not to force them to do something that goes against their moral fibers. So I do implore you to take another look and to make the right decision. President Joe Biden, if you end up seeing this video, uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, I, I just wanna say, please, I implore you, please, reinstate the military that had been kicked out over deeply held religious accommodations. This country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Even at West Point, it says that uh, an army without a compass or a conscience, uh, you don't want that. We need to have people with conscience and character still left in our military. I don't judge anybody that took this. I really don't. A lot of my friends their spouses did not want to take this, but they did this to provide for their family. Please help our military regain better morale. Morale is so low. Recruitment is all time low. I'm praying for you guys. I really am. I, I do. I pray for you. I don't care what party you're a part of. I pray for our leaders. Our nation needs good, strong, godly nation leaders. And that's what you, that's what you, you God has put you in this position to lead our nation. And I just pray that you would please, please, please do not veto this. Do not veto this. Do the right thing. Lift the mandate and reinstate. What I would say to the president would be just like, give them their freedom back. If they want to come back, give them that opportunity. Uh, make sure that the language is in there that says they have that opportunity. Because like the chaplain said, they chose that. They chose to serve. It, you know, nobody's in here forcefully. 
saying, oh, well, you know, we, there's no draft, there's no conscription or anything. Yeah. They chose to serve. They chose to raise their hand, swear the oath to the Constitution, and put on the uniform every day. Um, and that was taken away from them wrongly. Yeah. So follow up to you. And this is important to me. My family came from Cuba, where it, communism. I mean, it's a big reason why I care as much as I do is because I see the warning signs. I hope people understand what a big question this really is. But do you feel like you were serving to protect and preserve a free country still? Is this a free country? In a general sense, yes. We have a lot of freedoms in this country that don't exist or are extremely suppressed in other parts of the world. Yeah. So in that respect, yes, uh, I, I do. I think those freedoms are, are being stripped and slowly eroded. Would you agree with that? Would you say we're a free country? I agree with what he said, but behind a veneer of freedom, there are substantial problems. And I am in full support of the rescission of the, the mandate but I also think that that is step one. And I think that that alone is a very minor victory. And I think that we should not content ourselves with that. And we should go much, much further. Yeah. I think we need to figure out how and why we got here. There needs to be a full investigation. There probably needs to be a lot of people in jail. Yeah. If we don't get to the root cause of how this happened, things like this will happen again. And we have seen some things happen over the last two to three years that should have never happened on American soil. So are we going to permit those to happen again? The other thing is, is that these, these gentlemen right here and other people like them all across the armed forces, they're not pariahs. They never should have been treated like pariahs. Find a better warrior across the armed forces and a better you know, warrior for God than Andy Herka right here, chaplain. Yeah. You know, if you can find a better one than him, I'd like to meet him, but I don't think you can. Yeah. So don't rescind the mandate and reinstate soldiers because you think you're doing them a favor. You're not doing them a favor. You are giving them what you owe them. And it should be with significant compensation on top. Because these individuals are the ones who never turned their back on the country and never violated their oath to the Constitution. Yep. And you got, my words, this is Brad Miller speaking, not anybody else. You got criminals at the top of DOD because what has been going on is absolutely criminal. The, uh, the mandate itself is predicated upon fraud. The fact that the DMED data is out there, everyone knows about it, and it has not been thoroughly investigated and these mandates have not been stopped before, that is criminal. And they've tried to think cover it's it very up. very important they tried to conceal it. And they've tried to cover it up. These are crimes. Yeah. And these crimes by those committed by the DOD leadership are further enabled by commanders at every level that are cowards. Yeah. And maybe a year ago or 15 months ago when the mandate went into effect, charitably I could say maybe they were naive. Maybe they, they were true believers of what's going on. It is impossible to continue to claim ignorance right now so long as you possess the intellectual capacity that being a commander in the armed forces would require that. So do, are you limited in your intellectual capacity, which would disqualify you from your job, or have you violated your oath to the Constitution? Have you turned your back on the country? Because that's a very basic core premise of being a man. You know, I think there's an important thing to bring up. One of the core tenets I think that all men should live by is that you should never fear persecution you should fear the fruits of the compromise it takes to avoid being persecuted. That's what I think is going through a lot of the people who know this is wrong, but are staying silent, is they're compromising for fear of persecution. Sure. And that's the culture we have to change because the more people realize, here's the fun thing. I've been all over the country over the past few years talking to people, people of all walks of life, Democrats, Republicans, independents. 
when you get one-on-one with somebody and you talk about this issue, it's overwhelmingly the majority of people in that one-on-one setting will go, this is crazy. We shouldn't be treating our soldiers like this. Okay. That's the vast majority. But then when you get into a public space or you get into spaces where potentially there could be ramifications because people at work might find out what you said. Sure. Suddenly the silence kicks in. And this is one of those warning signs I was talking about is that in communist countries, that's how it started before it became a communist country is it was a country where it suddenly became very uncomfortable to tell the truth. And he felt like there were private consequences for the truth. Mm -hmm. But then very suddenly there were government consequences for telling the truth. And we already see mechanisms of that starting to crop up with the disinformation board they tried to put together this year through DHS. The fact that DHS, the Biden administration paid this year 12 plus million dollars to an organization, a group of four entities that make up what's called the EIP. The EIP created an enemies list of 20-something people, included myself, the Trump family, some other figures, my Jack Pasovic, Charlie Kirk, ironically, James Woods, the actor. <laughs> He's got a great Twitter account, by the way. This was a list of requests for parties to be censored. This is a new line that's been crossed by the U.S. government. When you put all that together and you look at it with this loyalty test that we talked about earlier, it paints a really ugly picture about the future direction that certain people want to take the country And to be perfectly honest, I don't care what party the people are doing that. They could be, if they were from the party that I vote for, I would be the first person at the front saying, we need to stop this. I don't care what they align with because at the end of the day, it's on a party they're aligning to. It's an ideology that has killed people and destroyed countries before. And that's obviously not everybody's opinion here, in my opinion. I think it's important to have these conversations out in the open and show no fear telling the truth. Because that's the culture that needs to be popularized and normalized is, at least when I was a kid, and I think you guys all probably had the same experience, the thing that was popular was, if you disagreed with somebody, you would just say, you know, this is a free country. Remember that? The words, you would just go, all right, well, I don't agree with you, but it's a free country. You can pick what you want. And people said that all the time. All the time, whenever I had a disagreement, it was always, it's a free country. You think what you want. And they could say some crazy off-the-wall stuff. Now, if they said that crazy off the wall stuff, they, people would be like, we need to really have a discussion here. You may need to have some emotional training. There'd be like a million different steps that you could lose your job, so on and so forth. Right. You know, I feel like a healthy society talks stuff out, you know, it puts things out in the open because the truth is when I was a kid, it was a much better place because when you allowed the crazy to be out in the open, everybody could very easily self-identify. Okay, Uncle, Uncle Rocky's a little crazy. Everybody just, you know, don't pay attention to what he's saying, but let him do this thing. Everybody understood what was going on, you know, and there was nothing hidden underneath, you know, in the shadows. And I think that's what we're creating is this reality where everything is going to get pushed more and more into the shadows if we allow this to continue. But for you guys, you know, we talked about your families, you on a personal level, as a man, as a father, as a husband, personally, what is the cost that you think the public doesn't know about? of a mandate like this and the coercion and the risk to your job and everything. This is the other thing too. This isn't just a job for you guys. People don't join. They don't join up because they just want a job. This is not a place you go because you just want to make money. Okay. So this is something you guys love your country. You like, let's get into the depths of that. You're, you're willing to die for your country and the constitution and the values therein. Obviously not what 
you've experienced right now, because that's not a reflection of the real reason why you guys joined up. But what has that cost been for you guys? So actually, to go with that, I've said from the beginning that, and it kind of goes with each thing that they've said, is those of us who stood our ground are were really the only ones that were actually fighting for freedom because everybody else just bowed. Yeah. I just don't understand how people can't see what's happening. You know, it just- this, Well, she, for you, how much of it is a farce in the first place? Because I know across other industries, medical industry, you go into touring industry, everything else with music and stuff like that, the vaccine, fake vaccine cards are rampant. Okay, so when this whole mandate came down, the principal way they were checking this was just take a look at the card. Okay, cool. He got his. You guys all know this was going on in the military too, right? There were fake vaccine cards being used to pass off that people got it. Correct? Absolutely. We had it's like every it's like every other industry. Right. I would you know, this was happening everywhere. You know, those are the people I have the biggest problem with. I don't have a problem with everybody making their choice. You want to get it, you get it, knock yourself out. I don't have a problem with it. The people who are wishy-washy and go, okay, I'm going to fake comply. I actually don't want it, but I'm not willing to stand up for what I believe in. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people who who died in service of, of trying to fight for freedom. That bothers me on, on a very core level. You know, I think that we have, a, especially men, especially like we don't talk about this stuff enough as a country. We have a responsibility as men to stand up first and put ourselves out there first and take the risk first. And it's not that women can't do it. They absolutely can. My wife probably has a higher pain threshold than I do. But the truth is it's just something in us that I feel like is required of us to stand up in moments like this. Throughout COVID, this kind of gets away from the military stuff, but throughout COVID, I was so ashamed as a man when I saw these videos of grown men in grocery stores yelling at women to put their mask on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It only happened one time ever in real life where I was around and I walked the lady around the grocery store and I told the guy, like, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm not wearing a mask. You didn't say anything to me. Maybe it's because I'm a foot taller than you, but you went over to a mom with her kid mm -hmm. and scared them, telling her she needs to go and do it. Obviously, she doesn't have it on for a reason. So if you have a problem with it, you can follow us around the grocery store, but I'm going to go grocery shopping with her. And I went around the Publix with her until she was done and she was so thankful. And that's what she ended with. She's like... Thank you for doing what men shouldn't do. And you guys are doing what men should do. So that's what I want to tell you guys as men, as fathers, as as brothers, as husbands, as as just other fellow men, like thank you for being the men that the world needs. This is the authority and position that we need to have is standing out there and saying, We're gonna tell the truth. We're we're gonna stand up for what we believe in. And and that's what you guys have done. I mean, I'll let you guys continue in in, you know, that effect on you personally, but Yeah, yeah I think convictions have consequences yeah and i think if you're trying to teach your family and trying to teach your kids that you need to stand up for what is right i think it's an important lesson for them to learn yeah but it's a painful lesson and i think that's been most difficult for me and heart-wrenching for me it's just to see my wife and my kids go through the pain of learning that yeah i don't regret the decision that i made and i don't regret them learning that lesson but as a husband and as a father, it hurts. Yeah, you want your kids and your wife to have a great life and to have dreams. And over the last 18 months, a lot of that's been stripped away from them. That's really difficult to see. But I'm thankful, I'm hopeful that God will continue to use this and that one day in their lives they can look back and say, okay, uh, there was a, a conviction that yeah. my, my dad stood up for. And I saw the 
the pain that put me through. I saw the pain that put him through, but I'm going to also stand. Well, I know you're a chaplain, so you know this better than I do, but I mean, the life of Jesus is all about persecution. Absolutely. And you know, Christians, that's what we're called to do is, is to, to emulate as best we can, you know, the life of Jesus and, and the way that, you know, he acted, he behaved in what he preached. And, you know, part of that is saying the uncomfortable thing, even if it's offensive to some people and telling the truth when it's, cause that's the thing people forget. Jesus was killed for his offensive words. Yeah. He, he wasn't killed for some act of terrorism or so, you know, it was, it was his words. Right. And we live in an environment again, where once again, words are the most dangerous thing being thrown around. You know, they're being framed as if words are violence now, like we carry bombs in our throats. And the truth is, is that, you know what, there's a little bit of truth to it. Sometimes words can be the most powerful thing. They're not violence. I think that's ludicrous, but they are the most powerful thing sometimes. Right. And that's why there's so many, you know, authoritarian people who their chief aim is to silence you, you know? And this is another form of silencing, in my opinion, is, is the coercion system built in to stop people from being able to even speak out and have a voice and talk about this. 19 plus years in the military, you learn that... Uh, Yes is the answer everybody wants. And yes is always the goal. Yeah. But yes comes at a cost. And sometimes the cost is uh, too high for somebody to accept. The cost of me saying yes to this vaccine is the cost of my convictions, the cost of my beliefs, the cost of my family's trust in me. Yeah. And all those things are a driving force. You don't want to ever have to put your family through that. And all this stuff has put everybody's family through that. Again, yeah. our beliefs while still a choice, they have guided us in, in a direction to make those choices, to, to pay that cost or not. Yeah. Sometimes that's painful. The road to what you want and the road that God has put you on can be painful, but it's also full of knowledge. Hopefully through all this process, we have gained the knowledge to not let it happen again. Yeah. So a couple of things that I would say, because I, I agree with a lot of what you said about men who in some ways have kind of failed right now at this moment where they need to be standing up. I was in the military for, you know, just over 19 years before that, four additional years at West Point. And many people who have that amount of time have probably deployed multiple times. And with very few exceptions, those who were in extremely dangerous situations, or maybe they were wounded or something like that. Outside of those, because there are some people who've been in some, some pretty crazy situations in their military careers. I would never diminish that. I would never diminish true bravery that has been shown. But outside of those, this is the fight. You need to stand up for for your country, you know, right here. That's what I would say to other people who are wearing the uniform. The other thing that I would say is when we look at our country, the enemy outside the gates is never as dangerous as the one inside the gates. And right now with our country, when we look at our institutions and what has happened and how thoroughly corrupted they have become, the enemy is inside the gates. Yeah. Like well inside the gates and we've got to stop worrying about other things when we need to look right here at home and try and figure out what's going on because it, it's a massive problem and then the other thing that i would really say when i look at those who have been willing to give up a lot and who have understood that this is the fight you know it's individuals like this and and i've got i've got some great friends of mine you know peers of mine who are still battalion commanders and they're they're good guys they're good guys they are on the wrong side of this issue and they are standing against their country, not with their country. They may or may not believe that. If they don't believe that, they're wrong. You know, this is the issue of the time. And for those that have gone along with this up to this point, 
We all make mistakes. There's still time. It's not too late. Absolutely. I tell that all the time. It is not too late. We're not here to bash you. We're not right. here to make you pay penance. Like we're not those people. We're we're actually trying to just say, hey, we want you to be free. We're, and absolutely. And we would like you to to stand up for freedom. And that's it. You're well, you stand up for freedom. I don't care how late you are to the party. Come to the party. You know, it's it's a side that always is aligned with joy too, which is an interesting thing. You know, freedom ultimately leads to joy. Whereas the other side, this coercive mentality, it always leads to chaos. It always leads to the breakdown of societies and cultures. Sure. From the perspective of Christianity, if you are a Christian man and you have no enemies, that's a problem. That's a problem. It means that you are not standing up and resisting the forces that should be resisted. Did you watch our episode today? I feel like maybe you watched our episode today that came out with pastors. The number of the megachurch pastors out there who want to do this lukewarm, accessible to everybody Christianity thing where they don't want to talk about anything controversial ever because, my goodness, if you talk about anything controversial, some people might not want to stay in your megachurch and then you won't get the private jet that you have that you or the new private jet you have your eyes on. Yeah. And that seems to be this overarching mentality in a lot of these places that are just trying to invent a new form of Christianity. And the truth is, like, we've got to be willing and understand that you are going to be hated. That's just almost a promise from the Bible. I mean, if you've read the Bible, pretty much every man in it has been persecuted. Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, is that there's also a great theme a flawed men coming around and doing the right right thing, which is why I have a little bit of faith that some of the people who are on the wrong side of this issue can maybe even watch something like this and realize they were missing something and that they didn't face or see or look into the depths of the humanity on the other side of this and be able to go, wow, I'm that person trying to force those people and their families into something that they genuinely don't want. Like they're willing to risk it all some people just don't understand that humanity, you know, and, and that's what I hope this delivers to people is a taste of that humanity. What about you on a personal level? You know, a lot of people ask you, is this the hill you're willing to die on? <laughs> you know, and I tell them all, like, for my convictions, absolutely. Like, you know, you said it, like, you, you can't go through life as a Christian without some type of persecution. And the other thing I want to say is, is a lot of people don't talk about it, is the effects that it has on you, like trying to be this strong, you know, this strong man, trying to stand up for what you believe is right, trying to show your family the right thing, like the type of toll it takes on you internally, you know, to be constantly ridiculed or put down, you know, or bashed about it. And I've, I've talked with Chappie about it before, you know, and he checks in on me every now and then. He's like, hey, man, you doing all right? Like, you know, I'm doing all right today, but nobody wants to talk about it but it's hard like yeah. behind the scenes like it is very hard to to just constantly face that yeah and then stand up with a smile and try and show your kids like hey i'm, I'm doing this to show you the right way like i'm doing this because it's the right thing yeah do you guys feel like the elected officials of our country and i'm not going to pick out a specific party but elected officials in general because there's a lot of blame to go around there's people from both parties who have not risen up to the occasion uh, maybe a lot more in one than the other, but still, do you feel like elected officials have shown that they actually appreciate your service or care about your service or care about you on an individual basis? I think very few do legitimately care about us. A lot of them like to speak it, 
some of them, some of the elected officials are like, hey, like we're going to kick them out, but, uh, you know, let's, let's at least let them have an honorable discharge. So like, you know, do the right thing and stand up yes. for, you know, what you know is right. Yeah. You know, what you swore to in the constitution, which is what we all do. It's the very first thing we swear to in our oath is to uphold and defend the constitution. I can almost guarantee you the ones that do care are going to be sharing this interview. I think we've, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say largely no. And I think right now what we're seeing, you know, there's this group that has come together using the NDAA as leverage. I understand that things politically are going to occur transactionally. I, I, I understand all that. But what I see right now are a lot of grifters revealing themselves for what they are. And they, they shield for the shot all along, which even if I look at that very charitably, it means in my view... Very naive, yeah. but they never really fought for the for the service members, or or if they did, it was very very superficial token support only, yeah. kind of like what you mentioned. And then now they're trying to attach themselves to this, and they want some sort of credit for doing this. That's right. Oh yes, yes, that's a big one. That's a big one. I hope voters, I hope voters are very wise to this and are very careful and look at the full totality of somebody's actions and not them running around after the NDAA especially if the Biden administration goes the route that some people think they'll, they'll go, where they purge everybody and then sign the NDAA, in which mm -hmm. case it's essentially meaningless. I mean, meaningless from the sense of the vaccine mandate. It's still going to make them a lot of money at the defense contracting companies. But I agree with you a thousand percent. It, it is revealing a lot of people who are just purely political creatures and don't care. Yeah, I just, I mean, I want to give credit and say thank you to those that have. Yes. You know, I think you have been unbelievably courageous. All your social media platforms and what you have done for us, I want to say thank you to you. Nothing compared to what you guys have done, but I, I do my little part. You, you've given us a voice, and we really, really appreciate it. And there are there are elected officials that have done the same. They have yeah. fought, and many of them have put their political position on the line. Yes. And so I'm, we're very, very grateful for them, yeah. for the ones that have. It's careful. I mean, obviously, the writing is on the wall because yeah. they're still here, right? Yeah, we had no. Yeah. The one thing I will add that has nothing really to do with politics or anything, but what this has done for me and my faith, though, is exponential. Like because I've leaned on God so heavily. Probably, I'm, I'm not in the service, but I I have to agree with you. Right. Same thing. Probably more than I ever had in my life. You know, is everybody else in that same boat? Because throughout COVID, Ed, it's like the, all of this, this whole fight has made me so much closer with God. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I don't want to put words in anybody else's mouth, but I could speak for myself. And, and I would tell you that regardless of everything that I gave up, if I had to rewind 15 months or whatever, I would make the exact same decision. There's not a single day that has gone by despite you know what i gave up or whatever or the uncertainty of what lies ahead but there's not a single day that has ever gone by in which i have regretted the decision that i made if i had to do it all over again i would do the exact same thing good good all right we're gonna go slightly off topic i didn't plan to talk about this but i think it's an interesting thing to bring up um and people who are currently in if you don't want to answer don't answer but today a big prisoner swap happened. Brittany Griner, WNBA player, was caught with cannabis in Russia, went to jail. She was traded for a guy named the Merchant of Death, okay? Victor Boot. He is somebody who was convicted of trying to kill Americans. In fact, in the deal where they convicted him, he was specifically signing up to provide arms to target American soldiers who were at the time assisting Colombians. 
And so these were supposed to be FARC rebels who were supposed to be going and, and again, pushing their agenda and, and killing American citizens. And he signed up to be a part of that. He had previously signed up to be a part of many different battles, arming both sides of conflicts all over the world, and even armed the U.S. government at times, mm -hmm. which the U.S. government claims was a mistake and they didn't know it was him. I find that very hard to believe, given the level that that happens at. But let's assume it's true. Long story short, no matter what he did, he's a bad guy. He's a really bad guy. And bad guys like that were a big deal. I mean, one of the biggest arms dealers of all time that literally had a, a movie made about him, Lord, Lord of War. Yeah. You don't trade those people for a WNBA player. Those are high, high value prisoner trades. And you would expect somebody like Paul Wieland, who is a former Marine, sure. <laughs> to be traded back. How did it make you guys feel? Because I got some texts from friends who were in and friends who recently got out and all of them were very unhappy with the fact that Paul's been there way longer mm -hmm. and is very likely to have been tortured. I would say 99% positive he's been tortured while he's been there. So how does it make you guys feel being in the service knowing that the priority was somebody who's been there for lifetime <laughs> because they're famous and can bounce a ball really well? Does anybody have a feeling on that? I don't have much of an opinion specifically on Griner's incarceration because I think I think people get lost in weeds on this because at the end of the day, when you go to another country, you're going to be at the mercy of their laws. Yeah. Now, do I personally think that that it was um, excessive? Sure, but but that's that, that's not really the point, you know. Again, this is why you don't take marijuana into Russia too, because I mean it's probably. Yeah, it's kind of like, like going on vacation in North Korea, just not a good idea. Just don't do it. <laughs> Generally, don't. Uh, you don't. There's other places to go. You know, specific to the to the trade. When I first heard about it, the the first thing that I thought was, and it's Brad Miller's opinion, nobody else's, um, that this is the U.S. government doing what the what the U.S. government does. I feel like this individual, the Merchant of Death, is probably worth a a lot of money because he's probably very good at what he does. Yeah. And now I think the question that we should all have is, again, everything that the government does is transactional. So what what's going to occur be because yeah, of this? This is my personal opinion, and I would recommend none of you guys make a comment on it. But my personal opinion, he will immediately be used by Russia in the Ukraine conflict very publicly. Um, he was never a public figure before, very much backseat, almost never photographed. And I think that'll quickly change once he hits ground in Russia. And I think they'll turn him into a figure to publicly arm and boost the morale of their soldiers, in which case we did not just trade a high-value target for a lower-value target and make a bad deal. We also traded to boost the morale of the Russian military, which our government claims that they would like Ukraine to be successful in their military operations. It's probably a really dumb idea. If I was working off the theory that they're supposed to be working off of, which is that you're supporting this country and you want them to, to do well, this is a really stupid to sure do. Which could lead one to to wonder this decision, amongst others, that sometimes are decisions made with the specific end of leading Americans to lose trust in their own institution. Yes, because it certainly seems like you know when you when you do the calculus of okay, what's going to come of this decision? That's what's going to happen. Well, here's the question: If a government was trying to undermine its institutions, undermine the trust of the people, divide them, cause chaos, and utterly destroy every foundation upon which it's built. Yep. What would they be doing differently than what they're doing right? Great question. Great question. Yeah. And here's, and, and, and kind of as an answer to that question, but going back to something we spoke about before, all tyrannical regimes do not look the same. And 
we mentioned before, you can have a veneer of freedom and you can have a lot of Americans who have been told their whole lives that they're free continue to believe that they're free while behind a very thin veneer, there are a lot of things that are happening at play. One of the problems that we have across the board with, with American citizens is there's a worldview issue. And what I, what I mean by that is a lot of Americans have an inadequate understanding of how their government works and how the world works. And so they find themselves doing a lot of mental gymnastics, trying to figure out with an inadequate worldview, how do you understand what is happening? And it's like, you're not going to be able to because your system of beliefs is insufficient to be able to look at what's happening and then understand it. And so they keep kind of getting the, you know, it does not compute, does not compute, yeah. does not compute. And, and it's because you've been told a lot of things that were true and maybe to some degrees are still true, but behind that, there's a lot of stuff going on that we've got to await to. A good example of what you're saying, where you're saying there's this veneer of freedom, but it doesn't totally exist. And that's, that's the CCP. So the CCP, a lot of people in America have a confused definition of communism because we have sort of an antiquated one where it's like the government has to take total control of private industry for it to exist. And that's just not the case anymore. Modern communism has evolved into something very different. And in China, there's the veneer of private enterprise. Sure. It doesn't actually exist, but the veneer exists. So publicly, you can have a business there. And it can operate under the sole ownership of you and your friends or whatever you decide. But in truth, it's controlled by the Communist Party and by the government. And, you know, you see that across the board, Chinese companies, they ultimately answer one authority and one authority. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that developed, you know, and, and again, these things develop. And like you said, they all look different. Every, every tyrannical regime looks different. They come on every side of the coin with every types of markings and every, every types of behavior. I don't think that we are special in the the regard that we're immune from this happening here i would say actually we're more primed for it to happen than almost anywhere else because we feel so impervious to it and i think that's one of the greatest dangers we have facing us is this feeling of invincibility that people have been sold since they were little kids in america where they believe things like that could never happen here we're the home of the free and the brave but when your own government is trying to coerce and destroy the brave they allow us to be free that's one of those big red lines and that's where we're at. And it's why I think it's so important we talk about this stuff. At the end of all of this, there'll be some people who watch this who go, you know, these guys, I feel bad for them, but they signed up for this. They signed up to comply. They signed up to do whatever the government tells them, you know, and some might just say, oh, it's just, just political for them. Or it's, you know, they're a Christian nationalist. I've heard this before. You're a Christian nationalist. What would you say to these people to try to get to their humanity and their ability to discern right from wrong? Yeah, it's a great question. And it is something that we deal with all the time. So the first question that I would ask is, okay, to an individual that says this, I would say, well, in the abstract, do you believe that there could ever be a case where a service member should disobey an order or can that not exist? Yeah. You know, by virtue of the fact that it's an order, must it always be obeyed at all times? And most reasonable people are going to say, well, yeah, I mean, of course, there, there could be orders that must be disobeyed. Okay, once we at least allow for that, then it's just a matter of where is that line? Yeah. Uh, you know? Well, and these people ignore the very basic premise that when you all joined up, religious exemptions were the norm, and they were almost never 
Denoth. Right. And now we've flipped into a new reality where suddenly they're universally Denoth. Right. Right. We've, we've inverted that from where they were virtually all approved to now virtually none or approved. Maybe not exactly none, but virtually none. The other thing that I would say is, and I'll say this just to someone who was, you know, a battalion commander in, in the military. Yeah. Orders are very important. And if you receive an order that you disagree with, are you bound to obey that order? Yes, you are. If you receive an order that could potentially result in your injury, let's, let's talk about like a combat situation, could result in your injury or death or the injury or death of your soldiers, are you legally bound to obey that order? Yes, you are. You are potentially legally bound to follow an order that will result in your death. It's happened all the time in militaries. It's the sad reality. Every one of us knew that when we joined up. Now, that doesn't mean that if you receive an order that you disagree with tactically, that you can't approach your higher commander, have discussions. Of course, that stuff happens all the time. But at the end of the day, if you're told, yeah, you have to. That changes when we talk about orders that are illegal, unconstitutional, immoral. That is completely different. Now this goes well beyond just an order that you personally disagree with or an order that you think doesn't make sense for reasons that might be well-founded, but you are still legally, you, you have to obligate it to obey. And I think that's important for people to hear. So I'm, I'm glad you could vocalize that because that's, uh, I really hope people take that to heart and, you know, and the vast, isn't right side of this. The vast majority of soldiers, I'll speak specifically about these soldiers that are sitting in a circle, almost 80 years of combined service. Their, right. their records are pristine. These are people that when they go to drill school are the top of their class. Yeah. These are people that are put in positions to be a battalion commander. Yeah. And, and these guys have done amazing service. Yeah. And so for that to be questioned over an issue, one issue in their entire career where they've shown over and over and over again, they will obey orders and they obey orders well when they are full, when they are moral and, and legal. Shameful in every regard. Yeah, no one here has a history of disobeying orders. Yeah, well, yeah, you know. <clears throat> and and so now, even if we just take that one issue alone, what, what DOD should look at is why do we have so many otherwise you know, remarkable, yeah. yeah, service members who have decided to take such a stand on this? There was an even bigger issue in National Guard. National Guard, the numbers of people who refused to comply was mass. Sure. I mean, we're talking about potentially hundreds of thousands of people. When you really get into the numbers between every branch of service and the National Guard, it's a real big chunk of the people you depend on in a situation where something truly terrible happens. That's dangerous. That is a real readiness issue, which again goes back to where we started, readiness which I think everybody can say at this point is just nothing short of a blatant old based lie. Right. I mean, it's, there's no way this is a ready, this is a readiness issue, but on the other side. And so I hope this culture ends and I hope that we're able to get to a place of sanity again. And I think conversations like this help us get there. And I really hope the people watching, they look at the humanity of what's going on here. And at the end of this, they're able to, you know, they can't shake your hand like I'm going to, but they, can salute you guys to the screen and say thank you for standing up thank you for doing what you've done and for being strong and for putting yourself out there and telling the truth because a lot of people are avoiding it and you know you guys it might not feel courageous that's a weird thing i feel like when people are actually courageous it never feels courageous to do something but it is yeah a lot of people don't have the courage to do it and they're afraid to speak the truth 
And, you know, maybe some people just, it comes more naturally, but you have to set an example, be a leader. And that's something I think all of you are very good at. So I want to shake all your hands. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service and for being such a fighter. And thank you for your service. You guys think we're incredible. And I really hope we, we wake up some hearts and minds on this issue. And that ultimately what, what everybody really wants is everybody be free to make their own decision. That is not a wild thing to ask for. That is a very sane, common sense, reasonable thing to ask for is say, hey, let's let everybody do what they feel comfortable with, with their own body when it comes to, to this issue, because it's obviously caused an issue that we've never seen before in the United States. I think that's that. So thank you guys for, for coming and doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Hey guys, just want to thank our sponsor, Patriot Mobile, a fantastic Patriot-owned company that is challenging these big companies out there like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, who themselves are taking your money and then giving it to organizations and endeavors that you don't agree with. So why not make the change today? Change to a company that is in alignment with your values that will fight for school boards to be flipped. Yes, Patriot Mobile did that. They will fight for the truth to get out there to people. That's what they're doing today by supporting this show. So if you want to be one of those people that is an actual change maker, that lives out their values, make the change today. If you're worried about service, do not worry. This company is working off of these same service standards that the major companies are. The trick is those companies, they want to make you believe that they're the only ones you can trust. But the truth is you can't trust them with your money. So make the change today. PatriotMobile.com, promo code STARBUCK. Thank you again to Patriot Mobile for supporting us in our fight to share the truth with the world. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. If you liked what you heard, tag me on social media, repost clips from it, share it with your friends. You sharing our show is how we grow and it's how we get the truth out there. So if you want to help spread the truth and help wake people up, please go and share our show. Go to our website, RobbieStarbuck.com for more information or to watch old episodes. See you at the next episode.